Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 17 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Bill Stevens. I'm a powerlifter. I run Strength Guild. I train athletes in all kinds of sports. So, uh, This is Dr. John Mike. I'm a professor in exercise science. I like to eat. I'm kind of a food snob. I like to take up a lot of space, and... Um, I've been eating a lot of pancakes this week. Ooh, nice. And we got Becky joining us. Becky, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a wife, mom, powerlifter. Sounds and good. all around badass. They're <laughs> <laughs> all talking up. <clears throat> yep. Okay. All right. Let's start with we have a, a bunch of mail building up on me and, and one little piece of news. So obviously, we'll, we'll all chime in. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one um, is from Sam. He says, Hello, huge fan, and I'll try and make this quick and to the point. Currently, I'm an undergrad chemistry student uh, in Vermont. Uh, I got into powerlifting this past year. I love it, and I'm working on getting better for my first competition. This is kind of the crux here. I struggle to find places to compete and train in Vermont. There are no powerlifting gyms or decent known coaches nearby. Um, And I tend to have to travel to Massachusetts or New York. My question is, if I want to continue powerlifting after my undergrad years, what states or regions tend to have more gyms or coaches available to help? Uh, if you could move somewhere to achieve powerlifting goals, where would you go? Thanks for the response. Have a great day, Sam. All right, Phil. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> right now, the Midwest. You know, between if you count like Ohio and stuff like that, uh, as the Midwest. Uh, I don't know why, but I mean, I think it's kind of been historically strong. Like Ohio will just always be a hotbed for powerlifting. What about, um, what about cities? So Columbus. Um, Oh yeah, Columbus. Um, St. Louis has a bunch of them. St. Louis has a good amount of gyms um, here in this area within you know Kansas City, Lawrence, Topeka. There's a lot of meets going on. Uh, like we just finished two, and we've got like I got lifters signing up for two more. Um, and then you jump all the way up from here. It's like you you jump over and you get out to California. So um, yeah. it's kind of what happens. I think but, you get a you get some satisfaction taking your crew from the Midwest to shock the Californians a little. Oh you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think just strength has been kind of a a Midwestern thing. Like the kids in the gym and stuff is a little more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you still got the farm culture. You know, <laughs> kids working hard a bit and things like that, and hotbeds for wrestling and football and and things like that. So wrestling, bodybuilding, yeah. you know, Midwest, it really yeah. contributes. I mean, if you think about some of the big wrestling 
you know, bodybuilding states and stuff. Lots of hardcore stuff that you're seeing come out of states like Ohio that are otherwise often forgotten, I think. Yeah. You know. And I think even like uh, we've talked even Highland Games here now. We've got a lot of the we're starting to get a bunch of the uh, good throwers come out of the Midwest now mm. here in Kansas within mm-hmm. within three hours of here, which just depends on what you call a long ways to drive. Like when I was in California, I drove uh, an hour and 15 minutes each way to go train at the gym I wanted to train at. So uh, it just depends on what it's worth to you. You know, it was yeah. worth it to me. Where I have here, I have people that are like, oh, you're so far away. It's 15 minutes. It's like, okay. Yeah, that's well, not much commitment. You don't, you don't need to be here. So, right, don't come here. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, if it's not worth the 15-minute drive. You know, yeah, but, I'd, uh, I would say, Sam, check out the gyms themselves <coughs> as opposed to, I mean, regions is a good idea, but like Phil just mentioned, where are the gyms that you hear people training at, right? It, yeah. that, that would be helpful, you know, so. Yeah, I suppose it depends on what you want to do with the rest of your life because you're not going to make a lot of money powerlifting. No, so. Right, you can't build a life around that. <laughs> You know, that's sort of the mistake uh, I made. When I, I left Ohio and I went to my first year of grad school in San Diego, I just wanted to go to Southern California to be in the middle of the bodybuilding scene. I'm, I, it, I was that immature, really. Uh, now, I had school as the backup, as sort of my excuse. I wasn't a total idiot, you know. But, yeah, you start to realize very quickly that this, even though it'd be a huge part of your lifestyle, it can't be the sole reason you move somewhere. You yeah. know, so. And where was he at in Vermont? Um, what did you say? Colchester, Vermont. Okay. I'd have to look. If he goes on powerliftingwatch.com, there's one, two, three, four, six powerlifting gyms in Vermont listed on their page. There you go. None of them are in Colchester, but I don't know where that is in the state So right. compared to these places. Right on. All right. Um, next up, this is a little bit of a rant from me. I'm going to make this brief. Uh, YouTube, I've been fussing about them recently. You know, we had a discussion on performance-enhancing meds, Phil. You and I did uh, just a, two weeks ago, I think. Um, they they banned that from monetization. Now, I don't really monetize stuff usually. It doesn't really matter. We just use YouTube for a backup. But it blew my mind because we were reporting news, and we had a rather academic discussion, right, about uh, drugs and sport. They flagged that, and they won't allow us to, um, you know, like market and monetize that. I just think... I think that's ridiculous. If we, yeah, if crazy. some of these topics are so taboo, you know how you're talking about, I think one of your points was virtually everyone at a high level is on something, you know? And if, if we're going to continue to ignore that through the censorship like that, uh, you can't even have a, you know, I mean, there was a dull we, conversation about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Rational. It was, there were pieces of news in there. It was really based on um, news. You know what um, WADA was doing, I think, and what was happening with Nike. Um, wow, it, it, you know, it's just that's why I'm ranting about it because it just it's ridiculous that that's the state that we're in that these issues are so taboo. Well, fine, then they're going to stay controversial. Maybe the media likes that. I don't know. Um, yeah. Whatever, whatever. YouTube. <laughs> um, next up, we have something from Paul. Uh, he actually sent this through Rob and uh, ironradio.org. He says, uh, Hi, Rob. While I'm not emailing you to be a guest on Iron Radio, I was hoping that you could pass this on to the guys. And in addition, I'd love to hear your input as well. Uh, I've just finished watching the Netflix documentary, What the Health? 
and I found it rather inflammatory and filled with scare tactics. A review of this film could be an excellent topic of discussion on Iron Radio. A review of this film would be an excellent topic of discussion for the show, uh, especially with your wealth of knowledge in physiology. Your show is not only entertaining listen, but also filled to the brim with helpful facts and methods to get gains in the weight room and in life. Thanks for your time. Have a great weekend, Paul. Paul, I did look up what the health. I haven't seen it myself. Uh, the journalists and scientists are really reaming it for being cherry-picking. We've talked about bad science before, uh, and apparently, I'm not saying all of it's bad. The science that they cite probably is true. I think there's a strong vegan slant to it, you know, plant-based diets and how basically meat and dairy are a huge source of our problems, and, and the meat and dairy industries are in cahoots with the big pharma industry, stuff like that. Uh, it does look cherry-picked. I haven't seen it myself. Have you guys seen, seen that, What the Health? I've seen um I saw fed up this was like was this 2017 I saw it um it was like a 2014 like 3 years ago or something and uh it was pretty it was about basically about childhood obesity and how people just blame um sugar for o the cause of obesity like all the way around and it was it's pretty it's pretty pretty biased um and uh so but I haven't seen like what the health I mean I have Netflix and I've and I've I've, I've seen the title but i haven't actually like watched it but you know most of those documentaries about health and nutrition it's just they interview the same types of people and it's like they they interview so many people that are actually like more medical individuals than there are like actual you know sports nutritionists or um you know exercise phys people i mean they just they don't interview those types of individuals they all do like you know medical doctors or those that are you know, or pediatric or childhood obesity and stuff, and it's always the same type of shit. It's just like, don't eat sugar; like it will kill you. It will, it will rip your spinal cord out. It's like, it's like it's evil. It's same thing. It's the same thing with um, like the carb argument. Um, but I typically have found those types of documentaries pretty, uh, pretty biased and cherry picking. Right. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but yeah, they go to a generalist. You're right. They'll go to like a general practitioner, somebody, some ER doc. I the other week we we're they were going to one of them. The problem is, of course, individual quotes. It's not the same thing as compiling evidence and coming up with a fair review of the situation, right? You can go interview very specific people. It's like what you what constitutes evidence? You know, what do you hold as being evidence? And individual quotes. For every quote you get, you could get a counter quote, right? That's the problem with that sort of that approach. But. Uh, so, yeah, maybe you can check that out, uh, John. I don't have Netflix, but if you get a chance, maybe you could bring that up in a future week, you know? Yeah. Okay. Last one, and then we'll get to our guest. No, it's, This is something I mentioned uh, last week uh, about casein and cheese. I, a fellow professor uh, turned me on to this and said there's a lot of stuff going around the news that casein and cheese, uh, obviously related, uh, are addictive, so this article is called No Cheese Is Not Just Like Crack. Let's see. Headlines joked about cheese addiction, but the real science is far more complex. This is by Bethany Brookshire uh, in sciencenews.org. Uh, so uh, I'll just touch on the highlights of this so we can uh, jam through this. But it says, uh, you know, cheese is delicious, but if you saw the news recently, you might think that it's on its way to be becoming classified as a Schedule II drug. Headlines said stuff like say cheese all the time maybe you have an addiction you know or cheese really is crack stuff like that um 
apparently the study in those stories was published in uh, PLOS One, right? Public Library of Science One. Um, it's a notable journal. Uh, it did investigate which foods are most associated with addictive-like eating behaviors, uh, but the researchers are really railing against what the journalists did with this stuff. You know, they try to dramatize a point to sort of get attention and, and uh, you know, sales and whatnot. Um, here, a quote. I was horrified by the misstatements and the oversimplifications and the statements about how it's an excuse to overeat, says Ashley Gearhart of the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, who led the study. That's getting so much attention. Liking something is not the same thing as addiction. Here's what they really did. They recruited 120 undergrads and another 384 participants through uh, Amazon, apparently. Uh, and they gave them a survey. Um, they're pointing out that food likes and even over-focusing on a particular food is not the same thing as drug addiction. But it says, in the first experiment, the scientists gave the undergrads choices between two different foods and asked them to select which of the items were most likely uh, to, they were most likely to crave, binge on, or come back to again. And you know, they had the typical junk foods, cookies, pizza, cake, stuff like that. And then they compared that with uh, I guess sort of a control in a way of the healthy foods like broccoli, water, cucumber, stuff like that. Uh, for each option, the students had to make a choice, like eat cookies or apples, right? Or cheeseburger or water, that sort of thing. And then they ranked the foods. There were other things going on here, but the most highly ranked foods, the ones that were most likely to have problems, were the highly processed foods, right? Chips, pizza, and cookies and cake, that sort of thing. Foods either low in carbs, like nuts and eggs, or low in fat, like bananas and strawberries, consistently ranked low, in other words, less likely to binge on, etc. Uh, it says when it comes to naturally occurring foods, even the ones that people really like, like apples, nuts, and strawberries, people like them, but they don't lose control, uh, and they don't have the same types of cravings, apparently. Um, it says when the researchers ranked how frequently a food was problematic for the participants, cheese wasn't even in the top 10. And again, uh, the professor who brought this to my attention was talking about casein and cheese um, you know, the casein almost being part of the problem. But again, not even in the top 10 when you actually look at the studies. It limped in at number 16 out of 35, um, blown away by chocolate, which was number one. Uh, French fries and pizza were very high up there, too, in the top five. Uh, even buttered popcorn, stuff like that. So um, there's comments in this article from neuroscientists from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, again, talking about how the symptoms of addiction, that sort of thing. Um, they're not necessarily the same thing. It says, um, quote, there are s systems in place that signal us when something we do is good, like eating, procreating, or drinking water when you're thirsty. Um, but again, not necessarily the same thing, the same systems as uh, drug abuse. Um, it says, quote, here's a different quote from the article uh, from Peter Kalivas. To put these foods on par with something like cocaine is pretty inflammatory. Um, and then later, just because something activates your opioid system doesn't make it addictive, according to Gearhart. And they talk about a 2009 scientific report on casomorphins from the European Food Safety Authority stated it's unknown whether these molecules escape from the gastrointestinal tract at all. So anyway, uh, kind of a condemnation of science journalists 
when you go right to the horse's mouth, the people who did the studies, yeah, they ranked mm-hmm. things and what people prefer. But yeah, it, this whole yeah, connection makes total with, sense. I mean, you do you want broccoli or do you want broccoli with cheese? Yeah, well, I'll take the broccoli with cheese. It's delicious. Right, <laughs> right. Anyway, so that I promised I would bring that up. So thanks for me going on my tirade. Um, let's talk about powerlifting. Yeah. So, like we said when we came on the show, we've got Becky Shermock. Becky is uh, a lifter at my gym, and I want to bring her on. Well, firstly, just I mean to talk about herself, and then we'll, we'll get to the topic of the day, which I think is a good one. It's just about the kind of the upswing of women lifters of late. But Becky, let's start with you. So, okay. how did you uh, how did you get going in all this stuff? I mean, athletics at all or lifting? I've always been an athletic person. Um, but what made me start in powerlifting was I got to a point in my body image that I, uh, wanted to lose some weight. I thought, you know, I don't want to be skinny. I want to be strong. <laughs> so when I started lifting, I started lifting for strength. I didn't start lifting for, you know, what I look like. And in turn, doing that, I you know, lost weight and gained it back with muscle. And then from there, I mean, how did we uh, segue from that to competing to, you know, on down the line? I mean, how what was kind of the hierarchy of this thing? Well, um, when I started at your gym, um, I didn't know that I was as strong as I know I am now. <laughs> um, you know, I not being in the culture or anything, you know, I, I thought, you know, my numbers were average. So when you suggested, Hey, you know, what about competing? I'm like, well, sure. You know, that sounds like fun. You know, it was, it's, you know, all for fun. Yeah. And I think this is going to go right into the topic of the day, but I think that's one of the things is why you know women are getting so strong now is they don't have this they don't come in with a chip on their shoulder like the dudes like yeah. I, they expect to be strong like oh, i'm a man i can pick that up <laughs> you know um you know becky came in and uh, was oh above average strong on day one you know but had no clue and was just like yeah i'm lifting weights you know this is awesome so um and then kind of move from there to, to competing and, and, and moving way up the ranks. But, um, so yeah, that's you know, kind of a, how went. I think there's something to be said for, uh, knowing where you rank, like in norms, like I can yeah. tell you students, wh- whether they're doing like a, a Wingate bike sprint test or whatever it is, they love to compare their vertical jump. They love to compare themselves to norms. Oh, look, I'm in the 70th percentile, you know, and that's important information because I think like in Becky's case, you could say, oh, well, I could go into a competition and really be a threat, like be taken seriously competitively, you know, not to say that you have to do that to compete. I think there's tons of benefits to putting yourself out there, putting your name on the dotted line, so to speak, but Mm -hmm. um but right, that's got to be a huge confidence builder. Like, hey, I'm good at something. I'm really good at this. I'm I'm unique in this way, um, especially as an adult. Right. So often we're done with high school, and then you're just I don't know what you're supposed to do, but you're 
unless you take yourself seriously or get, or maybe you just bump into the right person or whatever, you realize, hey, something like strength sports are a great way to continue um, very serious competition after society says kind of you're done. You know, high school's done, yeah. over, college is over, whatever, yeah. you're done. Well, I think in, in Becky's case, it's a good understanding of uh, you don't have to devote like endless hours a week to it. You know, she's a, yeah. a wife, a wife, a mom of, of numerous kids. She has a full-time job, uh, but still is able to come in and put those three to four days a weekend. Um, so, I mean, what, what is your, been your biggest struggle as far as that, like juggling life versus, versus training? Um, the biggest struggle is, and still is sometimes, is the people that, the naysayers. Mm -hmm. Um, why are you still doing this? You heard your back in December. Why, why are you doing this? You know, mm, my husband didn't take me seriously on it until I started competing. Mm -hmm. Um, just this, you know, this last one, he, he's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, you know, I, I totally support you on this now. Whereas it was a huge struggle. I had to be selfish, saying, hey, this is my gym time, and I'm sorry, I can't take you to practice. You're going to have to find another way there, kid, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, I've got kids, i got five kids. They're all in tons of sports, Right. Even one goes to Phil's gym, and um, you know it—it's just juggling and getting that support to help you out with other things while you go train. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a big one yeah. that uh, people forget about, especially once you have kids and stuff. Because me and my wife have struggled with this: is that it's always this give, 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 and it's—you almost feel not okay taking time for you. But, oh yeah, it's you, know, you have to. <laughs> you know? it, and, it was really hard at first. But you you know, if I want to get somewhere I gotta Yeah. I gotta be a little selfish. Yeah. I'm not only doing this for me, but me being healthy and lifting can I think extend my life. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm gonna be strong going into my um old age, I guess you could say. Um, and I think, you know, quality of life would be better. Yeah, I think moms have moms have that additional responsibility. They're sort of the glue in so many ways, you know, that keeps the family running. And I, I can only imagine that sort of, that weird and unfair feeling of guilt, you know, when it comes down to, like oh, you said, yeah. running somebody to practice or going to the gym yourself. But if that's part of who you are, your family should value you as much as you value them. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely, I mean, that's something that me and my wife have had to deal with. Like now we have set times where, okay, it's her time to train and it's my turn to watch the kids at the gym, you know, and things like that. And we're lucky we own our own place and we're able to take them there. Um, and they can run around like little monkeys and pick things up too. But, uh, it's finding that balance. And like my wife just signed up for her first meet since having our son. And it's going to be it, our first time swapping that role. Because normally we go to a meet, and she has to wrangle the kids the whole time. Yeah, so it's, it's my turn to, to wrangle the kids while mom is the competitor. Yeah, so, um, oh, yeah. 
you know, it's kind of finding that balance. But I think another interesting point is that, uh, and you're seeing this more and more, you didn't start this at like 19. You know, you didn't start this, you know, basically you're coming in as a very competitive powerlifter. You're still early in this. I mean, what are we on? Year, really, we're in year two? Yeah. Yeah. So we're in year two. You're already hitting big numbers, and you're coming in as a submaster. So not far from from masters. And I think that's a big one for people is that to realize just because you're, you're not 25 anymore, it doesn't mean you're competitive. You can start, you know, and still, as long as you're willing to put the work oh, in, yeah. as long as you're not wrecked in in injuries from your childhood, you can yeah, still be competitive. You know, when I was in, if I started this in my 20s, I, it would, you know, I don't think I'd, I don't know, I don't think I was mature enough in my 20s. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you, before we go to break, let me ask this then. Um, Becky, are you post 40? Are you 40 yet? No, I'm 36. Okay, okay. And then I think listeners should know, if we haven't explained this enough, uh, can you share some of your numbers, competitive numbers? Because we're talking about how competitive she is, um, and it's kind of a big deal. Can we share some, like your squat, for example? I, I saw a video of that. Well, my uh, on the last uh, meet, my squat was, what was it, 402 and a half yep. pounds? Got to get that half pound in that count. Yeah. <laughs> and the my bench was 181, and my deadlift was 363, I think. No, 369. Yeah. And I've I've had bigger numbers than that, but we took a big jump to 402, and um, I just couldn't get past my knees. But um, it'll be there next time. Yeah. Basically, we took a jump at this last meet to go for that thousand pound total. I was like, hey, we're yeah. that close. Let's try. Oh. So, um, and I think the most impressive thing about that is, and it's been trying to get Becky to understand it, a year and a half in, how impressive that is. It's like, okay, you're now in the 1% after a year and a half. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. So, That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, like Lonnie was saying before the show was, you know, we've talked about it numerous times, how many gyms you can walk in and you see – a guy squatting 405, legit. Very few. And it's not, it's very few. Yeah. (laughs) And you crushed, you know, 405 in a meet, so. Yeah, it was easy, too. I mean, it was, (laughs) was, I didn't even know what I was squatting because Bill's not supposed to tell me those things. Um, And I was impressed it was that because it felt like it was in the threes. It didn't feel mental block, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, let's roll on to the topic today because I think that's going to be a good one and we can spar up a lot of conversation on that. So, All right, we'll go to break. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what Uh, there is a book available you could simply google crc press and lowry and what i've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book a single compendium that you can hold up and say this is why i consume extra protein 
this can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. What we want to talk about for the topic of the day is something I brought up on social media the other day, and it was after, it was after this last meet. And I think it wasn't just Becky that brought this up in my head after this last meet, but it was because there was, what, 60 lifters at the meet, I think. Uh-huh. And literally the whole female class was very impressive. And the male class, oh, yeah. Yeah, not so much. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was there was Becky squatting 405. There was some uh, lady that was 114 pounds that pulled 397. Um you know, I mean, there were some impressive women lifting there um, and, and numerous ones that just started that were already hitting good lifts. And the thing that I noticed was I was talking to Lonnie about this earlier, like seven to 10 years ago or even further back than that, when I started in powerlifting there, it was rare to see a female in the whole flight. Um, it's like I was talking to Donnie Thompson about it. He's like, I never saw one. I just never, I never saw a, a woman lifting. In, in the meets he was in. Wow. And now you go in and there's a flight or two flights of nothing but women. Um, and it's also the fact that even then, since that started to happen, maybe five years ago, like at our gym, 315 used to be like the gold standard. Like we want you to get there. You're a, you're a, you're a super badass. If you're a female and you can deadlift or squat 315 mm-hmm. and now in that short amount of time, it has become almost expected. It's like the baseline of, okay, yeah. now you're starting to get strong. You know? Right. And it's, it's just, it, it's interesting how that's happened in a short amount of time. And I would argue it's even happened in Olympic weightlifting. I mean, the ones that are really crushing the group of lifters, the really crushing world records and national records on a consistent basis 
are the female lifters. They're taking these huge jumps, and, and it's like, why is this happening? It's kind of the, the first question. I mean, what's going on in society that is uh, that's allowing this to happen? Well, um, I think society has changed over the past 10 years or so. Um, instead of, you know, women looking at uh, wanting to be skinny and um, fit into a certain size, they're thinking more on strength. Like, hey, you know, they're figuring out that you can be strong and that size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a, just a turn in culture. Yeah. I think that there's an empowerment there. You know, I think women who train yeah. seriously for strength, they can become stronger, at least as strong or stronger than an average fit male. And I don't think a lot of women realize the scale here, like how, how far you can ramp up, right? Like imagine a mugger uh, running into you. That's, he's going to be mm-hmm. very surprised when you're stronger <laughs> than he is, you know, uh. and you put him on his ass kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's even yeah. the practical self-defense aspects of this. But again, and I'm not saying all women, you know, all they have to do is dabble with weights and they're going to become stronger than men. Um, but women that train seriously can sure as hell become stronger than oh, yeah. an average fit male. And I don't mean an average sedentary male. I mean an average relatively fit male. You know, I mean, like we said, you can count on one hand the number of guys in, in most gyms uh, that can squat legitimately 405. You know, so um, it's uh, it's got to be a, that's partly that sense of empowerment, I would think. And maybe just like like one of the posters said on my on my post I put up is like they are. Women have something to prove, you know, uh, like like I was talking about earlier, men almost have this. And it's it's it can be problematic. They come into the gym and. They have this idea that oh, I already know what I'm doing. You know, I know how to lift weights. I'm big and strong because I have a penis and balls. And it's <laughs> right. like, oh, yeah. Great. And <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And that's from a from a coach's perspective, the easiest people I deal with. Um, like Becky's an ideal client. She walks in and she's like, What am I doing today? I tell her what she's doing and she goes and does it. You know, there's not there's no questioning, there's no this and that. Debate. Um right. Yeah, it's like, okay, here I go, you know, and, and we get it done. And, you know, at times where there have to be some conversation, like she, you know, heard her back not long ago. So we had to figure things out during that. But uh, there was no ego there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you see it in guys, you know, they, macho. You just see that. Yeah, that kind of macho pride thing. It's like they yeah. haven't. It's almost embarrassing to admit. It's like the t- kind of testosterone clouded brain, maybe that you know, like they haven't thought this through. Like I'm debating lifting progression models with Phil Stevens. They haven't given yeah. the thought into the number of decades. You know, it's like, and like you said, you can stack up whether it's education or experience or years competing, whatever it is, versus penis. That's not the equal. That's not the equal. And I, I can see that, that that's got to be tough for you to overcome that. Uh, and it, it's got to be actually more enjoyable in a lot of ways to work with women, especially when they show promise, you know. Oh, yeah. And the, the crazy thing is now, I mean, I'd almost say that almost all of our women are probably stronger than their husbands or boyfriends, you know. And it's 
it just happens that way. Right. Yeah. And it, it happens in a fairly short amount of time, you know, uh, but then again, women don't have that that chip on their shoulder. It's like they're not walking around showing it off, like, oh, I'm super strong. You you get the guys that are come up to, they start to become good, you know, not great. But they reach that level of, oh, okay, you're better than average, and they have this huge this chip on their shoulder, this huge head. And then you have somebody like Becky who's reaching, uh, you know, you're talking about you're getting up into the 1%. You know, we missed an elite total by 16 pounds. Um, missed a thousand pound total by a lift. And there's this, oh, I didn't know I was good. You know? Right. <laughs> Type of mindset. It's not this this super macho, uh, I'm a badass. It's like, you know, it's just, okay, back to work. You know, let's get better. Um, you know, and- if, if I can follow up, Becky, so... It- First of all, do you agree with with what we're saying that you think women have a little bit less of a chip, like a know it all oh, totally. kind of thing? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I think also when choosing a gym, um, women probably do a little more research. Yeah. So you know, with me, I went into Phil's gym. I'm thinking, I talk to him. I do what he tells me to do, and he'll make me strong. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You gotta listen to other people. That's way too um, rational. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. But you know, I, uh, that comes with age. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's a good point. It's not all gender. Yeah. Some of it's age. You know, as yeah. far as maturity and stuff. Yeah. Well, so. if the if the macho chip isn't there, though, uh, is it fair to say that you think if there's a chip women have to overcome, it's it's the body image thing a little bit more than guys. Cause let's face it, Phil and I both know there's a lot of power lifters and, and John does too, that are, they're more or less obese. You know, they carry a ton of muscle mass and they don't give a damn if they have a big belly or not. They, you know, they just like that game you play, Phil, that fat or power lifter game, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, when you try to identify people. Uh, so men yeah. don't seem to have as much of an issue with the body fat thing. Um, but would you call that a chip on a lot of women's shoulders when they get into fitness? They're so focused on uh, losing body fat that they don't do something that's more immediately gratifying or, you know, more more sort of valid, like strength building? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, w- I would say that. Um, we're, we're moving from, you know, I get it's, it's all individual. Oh, um, yes. And even I struggle with it sometimes is you know, I've got a belly. I'm always going to have a belly. I've had five kids. It's not going away. And um, it's realizing you're going to have that mess on top with the, with the belt on, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of gals that stop there. I've, I've seen through social media. Um, oh, the belt makes me pudge over. Well, if you want to be strong, you're going to have to forget that because that pudge is is saving your inner organs. You've yeah. got to have a little there. You can't, you know, be an hourglass figure and be able to go as strong as it, you want to go. You know, with with weight comes strength. Mm. And they also got to get off the scale. Yeah. It's big for yeah. women. Like we were talking about, I think it's becoming a bigger issue for men too, nowadays. Oddly enough, but because um, I deal with both, but 
Yeah, that's the biggest step usually for women. But I mean, it's like once they realize like what we were talking about the other day, you're now heavier, but the same size or smaller than you were lighter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's yeah. The switching. Um, I'm yeah. the. I'm the same gene size as when I was 158 when I started at your gym. Yeah. I'm 180 something now and yeah. and I'm the same size. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, my legs are a little bit bigger, but <laughs> you know I want them I want them to be big. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm um I'm, I'm on the opposite side of where I was um gosh, you know, 10 years ago when I'm always going on diets, you know. Mm-hmm. And um my perception has changed. Phil, let me ask you. Um, I, I imagine, like, not everyone walks into the gym and it's going to be a Becky and start, you know, oh. blasting up 405. There must be in the assessment process that you have, like, you're more geared toward powerlifting and then maybe another woman is more geared toward fitness or figure, right? Because, I mean, a lot of the things that make – a, a good power lifter would be maybe a little bit bigger joints, maybe a little thicker through the waist, right? A wasp waist and little tiny joints, the kind of things yeah. that might look good on a fitness or a bodybuilding stage, mm-hmm. those would actually be a detriment to someone trying to be strong, right? So when you yeah. identify them, do you just eyeball them? Uh, do you get some performance numbers? How do you identify someone like Becky? Number one, like Becky came in and squatted 315 in like the first month. Oh, God. So it was it was pretty identifiable <laughs> that she's just strong, you know. And even my wife was like, "You bitch, <laughs> you just came in in weeks," you know. And that's another thing about women too is like, I think with guys, it's like there's this they're more competitive negatively with each other. Uh huh. And the women are all like, "You got this, girl," you know, <laughs> and they're cheering each other on like hugely. Um even if they are beating each other. But, uh, yeah, I think it – and then it's just – I can eyeball somebody. Like if somebody – we've talked about this before on the show. If somebody comes in, they're 6'5 and like 136 pounds, and they're built to be a, some distance runner or something, and they're like, I want to be an awesome power lifter. It's like, whoa. Um, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be honest with them. You know, if somebody is built specifically for some other endeavor, um, even though their heart is set on something else, I will I will take them towards where their heart is set on, but I'm gonna hint at them. I'm gonna say, you know, you're really you should try this. Um, that's like I have one one lifter, and it, this took this was like a five year transition. She was like dead set on being a a CrossFitter, and she's built more like a she's just huge thick legs. Uh, she's not built to be light, and you look at most of the good CrossFit people, and they're like a gymnast build. Uh-huh. Um, and this 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 woman is built to be a lifter, so it was what I started doing was hey let's throw a little bit of lifting into your programming, and yeah, then we throw a little bit more in, and you slowly you know up those doses, and then finally it's like hey I really like this lifting thing let's just do that yeah you know so sometimes I got to be sly about it um, right I mean hey I'll just I'll just I'm start good at raising this. the doses right so. I think that's one of the fun things about muscle sports is that. Uh, and maybe in some ways it's sort of opposite for men and women, but like you can be smaller joint and more ectomorphic, you know, uh, thin and angular, whatever it is. And maybe bodybuilding or fitness or figure is better for you. You could be a little bit more heavily built. Your joints are a little bit bigger, whatever. You just ha- carry lots of muscle mass. Maybe powerlifting is better for you, right? And I, when I say opposite, I, I think that spectrum serves both sexes. 
But with guys, sometimes it's the smaller guys, they do have an option. You know, like I'm not a huge person and bodybuilding was very empowering for me. You know, I didn't graduate high school at 2.30. I can tell you that, you know, it's like 80 pounds less than that. Uh, so it gave me a way to go. Uh, whereas a lot of guys are, are almost conditioned. I want to be this huge bearded badass. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm off in that, but with women, it, it, it's maybe the opposite. Like it's learning to value strength and not just the, whatever the, the magazines are telling you like this, you know, tiny little, uh, waist kind of thing or really low body fat, you know, but, but what's the price of all that skinny legs? You know, yeah. not a lot of shape and muscle mass on a lot of those supermodels, I'll tell you that. So it, the spectrum is fun, and I think maybe men and women look at this spectrum differently, and it, it's important for a coach like you, Phil, to be able to say, hey, there is a space for you in strength and muscle yeah. sports, and I'm going to – I like what you do, you sneaky bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you well, know, I mean, it's, it's also – honestly, I mean, people will enjoy doing what they're automatically good at. If you just get them to try it and they're good at it, they're probably going to want to do more of it. Reward. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think a lot of it too is just the environment they get into, the gym itself. Like with 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 the women at our gym, I think one of the biggest things is is the body image we put off. We don't give a shit. You know, it's not about what you look like, and it's all about what you can do. And we champion big butts and big thighs and big lifts. Yeah. You know, and right. we've got numerous people. I mean, we've got one client in there that just she genetically has a, a very large posterior and it was kind of a down part of her life. And then she walks in our gym. We're like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. and it's like, let's get that thing even bigger. Awesome. You know, and everybody it's yeah, it's turned the opposite. You yeah. know, it's like everybody championed her from day one. And uh, it's a place where you can fit in in the lifting sports. And so it's what we feed off of in there. It sounds and, like know, the, I've got several. The Go gym. Ahead. It sounds like the kind of gym that someone goes to though is so so huge, right? I don't want to sound. It's hard. Like we were talking about individuality. I can't say Becky, speak for all women, please. Thanks. You know, kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah. That's not fair, and I know that we're we're painting with a broad brush here. I I get that, but <clears throat> if women on average are more social. Uh, as opposed to less with the negative comp competition territorial thing, if that's in fact true, I'm not a sociologist, but if that is in fact true, it sounds like where you go is a big deal, right? Like Becky, go, finding Phil's gym and sort of doing your homework in advance and all that, um, that must have been sort of um, a, a gateway for you, like some door flung open that wouldn't have happened in any gym. Is that fair to say? Oh, totally. If I went to any other gym, it it would be, it should be a different story. Yeah. It really would. And I'm not trying to make this a commercial for you, Phil. I'm just trying to point out, I guess, that uh, if women are more social, you know, and the, yeah. and collectively as a group, you can start to value big thighs, you know, yes. and that kind of stuff. Um, that's a subculture, right? Everybody knows strength sports, bodybuilding, powerlifting. We have a value system that isn't always completely synonymous with mainstream gen pop, right? Like you hear people say, hey, freaky, you know, that's beastly. And things that might normally be almost have negative connotations for the average person, we come to value, but it's partly because of that, that social interaction, I think. Yeah. You know, that you're like, hey, it's yeah. okay. 
It's okay to feel huge and powerful. That's not bad. That's good. You know, but yeah. God, to, to unlearn what you've been programmed with, especially you, Becky, I mean, being, uh, and I mean this in the nicest way, being middle-aged, right? right you're, yeah. you're erasing yeah. a lot of bullshit and, and trying to replace <laughs> it with something that's more constructive. I, I've had to totally reprogram my brain, honestly. And, you know, I see my friends, social media, um, all my friends uh, in real life are at the gym, basically. Um, and just, you can, you can really tell the difference between, um, you know, who's, who's still on gin pop as opposed to the lifting culture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a, there's definitely a shift in mindset and it's sometimes it happens slower for some people than others. Um, and I don't know how to put it. I mean, it's almost like you finally gained this. Okay. I just don't give a shit what anybody else thinks I'm doing this because I enjoy it and I'm good at it. And once you reach that point, uh, that's where progress really starts to happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's things like, uh, I think another benefit for women and men is that, uh, that have like body issues and this and that is now that there's weight classes. So you have a reason to weigh this much. Um, so it's like, okay, I'm competing in this class. That's what I'm going to weigh. And these are where my numbers stack up. And I'm more competitive in this class. So, um, you know, I'm more competitive with 181 than 165. So we're going there. And that's why I'm in the, it's, yeah. it's a reason to be this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, greater than it's, it's something bigger than just a number on a scale. Um, there's a competitive aspect to it. Yeah. It goes both ways too. Like I remember like students used to say, Oh, you were a bodybuilder. And I'm like, well, I was a light heavyweight. You know, we only weighed yeah. 198 pounds. We can't, we can't weigh more than that. I, I, they expect like the cover of a magazine. Right. But the flip side of that would be if you are larger than average, people might expect you to weigh much less instead of much more. And, it's, and yeah. again, like you said, the answer is weight class goofball. You know, yeah. the gen pop person doesn't doesn't really understand that, that you're you're not you don't have to be a 275 pound pro to be a bodybuilder and you don't have to be, um, you know, a 130 pound waif to be into fitness. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a weight class thing. I, I like that uh, that explanation. Yeah. And it's kind and of ignorance usually, that you got to overcome, you know. Yeah. And, and usually the what happens in lifting in general is. Unless you're starting with somebody that's just overweight to begin with. Um, usually what happens is there's this progression through their career. Let's say you started a uh, – the female, you started a 132. At some point, your gains are going to slow down. And then it's my biz, my yeah. job as a coach to say, well, our best bet is probably go up to 148s. You know? uh -huh. And then we have a reason besides being heavy. You know, okay, so if I move to 148, I know my gym numbers are going to go up and this and that and this and that. And then it's, it's, I still deal with it all the time. I have lifters that are just stuck on a weight class, but it's making them realize that that doesn't mean forever. Mm -hmm. Just because you go to 181s or 198s doesn't mean you have to stay there forever. But let's say you want to be a 148 lifter and you want to be the best 148 lifter in the world. Our best bet is probably to get you to 165 or higher, 
and get where you need to be at 148 you know, mm-hmm. before we come on back down. You know, it just it just right. happens faster that way. And there's usually a progression over a lifter's career where they do slowly move up up weight classes. Yeah. But Becky, are you comfortable with that? Like when you look at career length, like Phil's talking about, um, are you comfortable moving up through weight classes? Have you had enough success already that you're okay? And again, like Phil's saying, you gotta. You, you, there's a line here where you ultimately you think about health and that sort of stuff as well. I mean, maybe not at a very high competitive level. It's not always synonymous, we know. But uh, how do you feel uh, about that? Is it too hard to ask a woman? And again, I know you can't speak for all women, but is it is it hard for you mm-hmm. to say I'm gonna I'm okay gaining more weight if I'm going to get these these numbers if I'm going to be master's class and be you know having a, a twelve hundred pound total or you know what I mean is that is that a very hard right. pill to swallow or are are you going to embrace that? Um, not anymore. Before it would have been, um, but I know now from being in the one sixty five class and being in the one eighty one class and talking to Phil and Sarah. And um, knowing that, hey, if you want bigger numbers, you're going to be in a larger weight class. And that's just all there is to it. Muscle weighs more. And if you want better totals, you're going to have to be more muscular and you're going to have to weigh more. That's just all there is to it. Mm -hmm. I've come to accept that. I'm okay with that. Um, I know my best training weight is in in the high 170s. And I mean, it's just, it's just knowing what, how, how it all connects. And with a lot of women, I think, um, that's just something that they're, they don't, um, they just don't connect it. Yeah. They see the number on the scale and they think, oh my God, I weigh this much. Um, but they don't think about, oh, and you also push and pull this much they don't they've they've got to get the connection right the balance there i I imagine someone like yourself every time you feel like let's say you feel you know again being in a subculture like you're you're a family holiday gathering excuse me you're at a family christmas Mm -hmm. and you know you you feel big that doesn't match their expectations but you can value you can balance that against the successes you've had in the gym right so you you have that sort yeah. of balance where you can compare these two things whereas you know women who aren't real strong they don't have that you know so yeah like right. you said they're they're not basically making that connection that you're you're being bigger so you can be stronger you know or maybe you're stronger right. which has made you bigger you know but yeah well, uh, me and Dal were talking about this yesterday. Dal Gaines, another one of my lifters. Um, and I think a big part to get past is that there's one thing that he said was the only thing that's sexy on the platform is your total. It's just realizing <laughs> that nobody looks good in a singlet and nobody cares what you look like. When they, like, There's never been a lifter that comes with like there's a competition and girl A wins. She's not like, oh, you know, I kicked your ass, but man, you looked a lot better than I did. No, right? I just whooped your ass. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and it's not saying I'm not a believer in the big 
uh, overweight, out of shape powerlifter. Never have been. But I understand that a healthy level of body fat is beneficial to being strong. You know, it just is. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want people to be just like you shouldn't die walking a flight of stairs, you know, or getting in and out of your car. But you're just not going to be lean, like almost stage ready lean and be at your best. Unless, of course, there's some outliers out there, some genetic freaks um, that are also supplemented. But uh, mm -hmm. the average person is getting to realize that it's like you're just not going to be at your best strength wise and, and be super competitively lean. Well, it's, men look at, look at the best athletes in the world. They're not that way. Not, right. Yeah. Men and women, I think they've yes. got to get through their head that you're not going to gain 100 percent lean mass when you try to gain weight. There's going to be a certain ratio. I mean, it's a real home run to be like to, to gain 70 percent muscle, 30 percent fat. But there's going to be a that fat uh, requisite. Right. You don't partition 100.0% of all the nutrients you're eating into muscle tissue, even if you're training your butt off, right? Yeah. And that this fear of any additional fat gain. Um, I once had a professor actually say, why do you guys do stuff like, you know, you put on extra fat in the off season and if you're just going to take it back off when you compete. Now that's more bodybuilding stuff, but at the same time, it's like, well, because I'm trying to add mostly muscle and then remove mostly fat when it comes diet time. I, you know, so I'm... I'm 15 pounds more muscle mass when it comes time to compete, you know, but yeah. again, the average person, I, I don't think they understand that um, unless you're very enhanced chemically, I, I don't see how anybody's going to gain virtually 100% of their, of their body weight gains as muscle tissue. It, it's an absurd, well, no. you know, proposition. And none of us ever walk in the gym saying, dude, I'm going to try and gain 50 pounds of fat this year. No, it's it's, you know, right. it's just we accept a certain amount, yeah. You know, yeah. <clears throat> to gain the muscle and to gain the strength. I mean, that's even me. You know, I've I'm getting ready for our, the next meet we're gonna do. We're all going up the Reebok Record Breakers meet. Literally, my training starts this week. It's 16 weeks out. So since my last meet, I haven't trained. I've trained, but not as hard. And I'm 25 pounds heavier already. And I I hit my squat. The last weekend, just to kind of test where I'm at, and I hit my last squat for an easy, an easy lift. So I mean that that'll potentially be my opener, my last squat at my last meet, mm -hmm. and it's flat out just because I'm heavier. You're bigger, yeah. You know I'm bigger, yeah. and it's I'm not stronger. I'm I just can't be because I know the training I've done, and I'm not stupid. Basically, I've trained enough to kind of maintain things because I'm old, and if I started training 25 <laughs> weeks out, I'd be beat up by the time the meet got here. I'd be limping. So, you know, I just kind of go into, okay, I'm just going to kind of train and try and stay healthy. And, you know, I hit that lift easy. It's just because I'm bigger. Right. That's it. I think a lot of people need to realize, although it's on a narrower scale, you know, the scale of, of human size, think about like an elephant versus a mouse, you know, enormously mm. strong by comparison, absurdly not even comparison. Uh, but that's a, you know... That's a good, I, I guess I'm trying to use this gross metaphor that really big is really strong or could be really strong, not necessarily. Yes. Whereas, yeah, there's there's a certain requisite for bigness, <laughs> for size, yeah. you know, if you're going to have numbers that most people almost can't even process, I guess. Yeah. So, performance so. numbers. Okay. Well, that's a good show. Yeah, good so. stuff. Thanks, Becky. Becky, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
and I'm going to go to the gym now and start getting ready for this meet so I don't look like a dumbass. So. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.